Well, as I said at the beginning of the service, today is the Sunday closest to Clermont's anniversary. We are 52 years old now. And what a contrast between the circumstances now and two years ago when we were able to celebrate our 50th. Then we were able to have all kinds of events, and the place was, was busy with all the kind of comings and goings. And of course, what a contrast now. Two years ago, we gave thanks for the folk who had served the Lord Jesus through the ministry at Clermont. And also we began to, or not begun, we've been doing it before, but again also alongside that thanks for what had gone before, we were asking questions about what kind of church we wanted to be in, in the future. Not just here, but right across the Western world, the, the church is facing a, a time of, of transition. The basic calling is the same, um, to be disciples of Jesus and to make disciples of Jesus, but we do so in a very changing uh, context. Jesus was engaged in that business of making disciples and disciples who would then make other disciples. It's quite striking that Jesus um, didn't write a book. He didn't set up some large organization. He simply gathered around him a group of disciples who then would go on to call and, and make other folks disciples as well. And that's the role of a church and the mission of a church. And today in particular, um, we're doing that in a, in a world which is questioning things much more, a world that has lost some of its confidence and some of its certainty about, about life and what goes on. And in such a time, the world needs the church more than ever to affirm what is right and good. We need a people who can gather up the cares and concerns and the sorenesses and aspirations of this hurting world and, and bring that before God, but also a people who can represent God and what God says and what God wants to the world. Last Sunday, I pointed out that the New Testament refers to the church both as a, a priesthood and talks about us also being ambassadors for Christ. And for both of these things, the priests and the ambassadors, it involves having a foot in two camps. The priest is called to represent the hopes, the fears, the aspirations of the people, gather up where the people are, are at and bring that to God. But also the priest is called to represent God to the world. And in the same way, the ambassador is representing the work of his or her home country, but also is conveying to that home country what's going on in the place where he or she is an ambassador. And last Sunday, we looked at the prayer of Daniel in chapter 9, seeing how there Daniel exercised that priestly ministry as he gathered up the thoughts and, and where the people were at and, and brought that to God. And today I want to turn more to the responsibility that we have to be God's agents, to be God's representatives, to be God's ambassadors in the world. And just as the church uh, is called to be representative of the world before the Lord, so too we are to represent the Lord before the world. Now, in Philippians chapter 3, and I hope you can, hope you have a copy of uh, that chapter in front of you just now. If you don't, maybe 
press the pause button, go and get one, and, and come back and have a look with me at Philippians chapter 3. And we're looking at the section, verses 12 to 21. And the first few verses of that show that the Christian life is one of, of pursuing a higher calling. Christianity is not just a set of ideas, a set of beliefs, a few things to give a tick to. It's the specific following of Jesus, putting the way of Jesus into practice in our own life. And doing that will put us into conflict with some things that go on in the rest of the world. But also following the way of Jesus brings us into a community with those who are also His followers. And so, verse 17 of our passage, Paul says, join together. And in the rest of these verses, 17 to 21, he is talking about the plural, brothers and sisters, and talking about we. Sometimes the English, doesn't, uh, the English language doesn't convey the fact that he's talking in, in plurals, because when he says things like, I've often told you and I tell you again, the word you can be singular or plural in English. But in the Greek in which the New Testament is written, it's the plural that Paul uses consistently throughout these verses. You together as the disciples of Jesus. Discipleship is something that is, that is formed in community, for community. But it's also something that's lived out in the real day-to-day -day world. We don't become disciples of Jesus by hiding away from the world. Disciples of Jesus are not taken out of the world. But like ambassadors, ambassadors can't stay at home. The German ambassador, for example, to the United States, well, that German ambassador can't remain in Berlin or Bonn or Munich or Hamburg or anywhere like that. He or she has to go and be in the United States. But while they're in the United States, they're still a citizen of Germany, and they're still under the authority of the Germans and remain German themselves. They cannot make things up. They cannot do as they please without any reference to what's going on back in Germany. And indeed, their behavior, the thoughts, their things that they have to say are shaped by what's going on in that homeland and what's directed from Germany. Now, in a similar way, to be ambassadors for Christ is to be in the world, but to be shaped, to be directed by what God has said and what God wants. And so, we, we live in that foot in, in two camps kind of place. In verses 20 and, and 21 of the passage, Paul has another way of putting that when he says, our citizenship, verse 20, is in heaven. Now, that might sound quite different. That might sound as though he's really saying, we don't really belong here. We're waiting to go home to heaven after we die, and, and that's where we're going to be for always. But the idea that we live here for a time, and then we die, and then we go to heaven to be there forever while life continues on here on earth, well, if that's what you think, um, I don't know where you got that idea from. You didn't get it from Jesus, and you didn't get it from the followers of Jesus. That is not something that is taught in the New Testament. So, what is the apostle saying in, in verse 20 when he's saying, our citizenship is in heaven? Is he not saying that that's where we go next? Well, actually, no, he's not. To understand what he means, we 
have to remember that he's writing to the church in the city called Philippi. And Philippi was a, a Roman colony. Philippi, when it was being established as a, a city, was a city that was set up and populated by folks who had served in the Roman army. And out of gratitude for their service in the Roman army, so the emperor at Rome gave uh, people land and, and, and in Philippi where they could set up home, and also gave them the privilege of being counted citizens of Rome. And so Philippi was quite proud of that standing and that status, and so they set themselves up as a Roman colony. They did their best to order their civic life so that it matched the things that were done in Rome. They, they used, referred to cut and brought in customs that had happened. In fact, what they did was making a, a Rome away from Rome. Now, they were citizens of Rome, and that did not mean one day we hope to go to Rome. In fact, the emperor would not have welcomed that at all if people from all these colonies across the empire, Philippi and many others, if all the folks there who were citizens of Rome said, no, because we're citizens, we're going back to Rome sometime, the emperor would have had kittens, really. Rome was already overcrowded. Rome was already troubled with all kinds of unemployment. Of thousands and thousands of people heading to Rome would be a disaster. It would be chaos. So when the people in Philippi said that we are citizens of Rome, they did not mean one day we are going to go there. Rather, what they meant was, we are, we are building a bit of Rome. We are having something of Rome here. Rome shapes who we are, how we do civic life, how we exercise the authority of a city. Rome shapes our customs and our, and our practices. Now, it's in that sense that Paul, writing to citizens of Rome who were in Philippi, speaks about citizenship in heaven, verse 20 of Philippians 3. He's not saying we're going to go there sometimes so much as saying we are to be shaped here and now by the reality of God's kingdom, God's heaven. And in saying that, and in affirming that, Paul's not making up something new. It's what Jesus said in the, in the prayer that we refer to as the Lord's Prayer, a, a prayer that we've already used in our service today. Your kingdom come. Your will be done where? on earth as it is in heaven. That is, the kingdom of God is to be realized, to be shaped, to be exercised in the, in the planet here. And it's to be exercised and done through those who are citizens of God's kingdom. And so, the challenge of the letter here at this point, down through the years, is that for each and for every community of Jesus' people, for each and every group of disciples, for each and every church then, we are to live as though Jesus is Lord and not live according to the dictates of the time and place in which we find ourselves. Just as the ambassador has to live out the realities and the teaching of his or her own home country in that strange place, just as the people of Philippi and, and Paul's time were living out the ways of Rome while they remained in Philippi, so 
all the way down through the history of the church, our calling has been to live out God's ways, God's teaching in the world. The Old Testament character that I referred to that we were looking at last week, Daniel is a good example of that. He was taken into exile in Babylon, and he adopted the customs of Babylon as much as possible. But as soon as, soon as there was any clash between what Babylon said and what the Lord had said, Daniel was clearly on God's side. And so, when laws were passed about who you could worship, Daniel said, no, I must worship the Lord. There's a higher, there's a higher law. And where it brings me into disobedience, I have no alternative but to be an ambassador for the Lord, to stand up for the Lord and do the Lord's thing in the Lord's way. In Paul's time, Philippi was under the rule of Caesar. In Daniel's time, he was in a place where they were under the rule of the Babylonian Empire. So, what about us today? Well, we don't have a ruler in the sense of a dictator like that. But in today's world, in today's affluent West, it's been consumerism and materialism that had become Caesar. Possessions are people's goal and God. Marketing has become our liturgy. Shopping malls have become our temples. Advertising jingles are our hymns. Company logos are our icons. Designer clothes are our vestments. Wealthy celebrities have become our venerated saints. An unlimited purchasing power has become the heaven of which we dream. Is that not the basis on which lottery tickets are sold and bought? Here is your dream come true. And that has produced a society which has been intent on invading evading accountability, and has been more concerned with assessing the options than in weighing the consequences. It's a society that has been hopelessly individualistic, a society that has been an unequal society, and an I'm-not-worrying-about-something-if-it-doesn't-bother-me society, which is why we're suddenly finding that the lack of resources that have been given to things like the health service and so on have it's now coming back to bite us. The need wasn't as great. We didn't care. And so on. And the Western church became compromised too. The story of the church in our country, particularly post-World War II, has been of a church that has lost its distinctiveness a church that failed in its ambassadorship by forgetting the ways of the one that she was called to represent. The church thought she could maybe have it both ways, play the materialist, the consumer game, and also follow Jesus, although Jesus himself said that that wasn't on. And in the passage that we know as the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus said, you cannot serve both God and money. Matthew 6, 24. And one of the main reasons, I think, where the church has slid into the background is that the church ceased to be much different from the rest of society. It didn't have anything distinctive to say, and certainly wasn't living a different or distinctive life. 
our citizenship didn't seem to be much different from anyone else's citizenship. And instead of showing a way of life that showed that Jesus was Lord, we made Christianity into some kind of hobby or, or leisure activity. But hey, things, are, things have become a wee bit different recently, haven't they? Things have changed. COVID-19 has challenged some of these certainties that we supposed. Certainties about our ability to cope, about our being in charge of things, about freedoms to come and go. And some people are identifying benefits that we're beginning to see during this pandemic. Of course, nobody is saying that any of these benefits justifies what we are going through, but certainly some pluses are being seen. There's been a huge reduction in pollution, a huge increase in air quality, particularly in many third world large cities. We're seeing folk being more engaged with others and their family. Maybe people taking up or retaking up particular interests and, and hobbies can't get flour in the shops because of all the bakers that have suddenly emerged. And one potential benefit, in fact, what I think is the biggest benefit, is that in the uncertainty and in the challenges that, that have come with the COVID-19 um, pandemic, is that folks are questioning a bit more. Folks are being challenged to think again. And think about what really counts, what really matters. About why ordinarily we use so much stuff. About how we value things and, and value things that we don't really need. About how we value people. As we realize that some of the key jobs are actually very badly paid. Questions about who might deserve to be kept alive or who gets special access to medicines or protective clothing or even to shops. And with the loss of certainties and the loss of things that we've taken for granted, and with the reframing of what actually might matter most, comes an openness to a different perspective. And so amongst the shifting sands of varying viewpoints around us, a new opportunity is coming to and being given to the church. An opportunity to join with it. We don't have to go back to the same old normal brigade. But in our case, in our case for us to show and, and recommend a different, a better way that is found through Christ. A church that became too entwined with the materialist status quo is now being given a God-given opportunity to ask itself some basic questions about who and what we're pursuing and why. Now, again, I'm not saying that this justifies the pandemic that we're going through, not at all. But it does give an opportunity that wasn't there six months ago, nine months ago, 12 months ago or whatever. It does give us an opportunity to rethink and reshape, to make it clear that God is in fact the one 
who is the one that is most important to us and whom we pursue, verse 15. That we need to press on, verse 12, in following Jesus. For in Jesus, and Jesus alone, verse 14, is ultimate reward. Living in this pandemic time is a time for God's people to, yes, lament what we have become and to seek first the kingdom of God, and also to reconfigure who we are, how we do things, so that we don't slip back into irrelevance and unfruitfulness, but rather live as citizens of God's kingdom, pointing and showing the, the worth and the value of living for this King Jesus. We need to begin, if we have not already begun, to think and pray about what kind of church we are called to be and how we show the reality of the kingdom of God in day-to-day -day life and living. We have to find ways of saying that materialism is not Caesar. We have to find ways of saying that there is no greater loyalty to us and for us than, than going the way of Jesus. And amid the old seeming certainties that are crumbling down around us, so too has to go the notion of the church as an institution or as some kind of religious club. Such a church does not have another 52 years ahead of it, that's for sure. Moreover, and more seriously, such a church cannot share and cannot share in, in God's salvation. I suppose that if we could get into the TARDIS and, and go back to the time of Philippi and meet some of the guys in Philippi High Street and Philippi Main Street and interview them and, and say, you guys here, a lot of you are citizens of Rome. Oh, yeah, yeah. And if we then ask them, what does that mean? What difference does it make that you're a citizen of Rome? I reckon they probably would be able to tell us they'd be able to tell us how that has shaped how they do things. They'd be able to tell us what um, responsibilities that puts on them, but also what benefits it brings them. They'd be able to tell us why they're pleased to be citizens of Rome, why they think it's good for them to be citizens of Rome. So, back in the TARDIS, back up to today and here and now. What does it mean to you and for you to be a citizen of heaven? What does it mean to be an ambassador for Christ? And that is a question that we have to unpack and, and work hard at thinking out, both at an individual level and in terms of our own discipleship, but also on the verse 17, join together level in the community, the, the church. For one of the things out of this God-given opportunity is that no matter how long the restrictions of lockdown are going to go on for, and they're going to go on for some time yet, amidst all the frustration of that and the hurt of that, there's also this God-given opportunity for the church to recognize and realize that she can't just go on playing the same game, as it were, as before. That the church has to think more about discipleship and making disciples. 
of being citizens of heaven, of what it means for us every time we pray that prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let us pray. Lord, being part of your kingdom, being citizens of heaven is not something that we deserve, but something given to us in the grace of, Christ, grace of God when we embrace Christ as our Savior and Lord. So help us to be realistic and honest with ourselves. But whether or not we've taken that step of faith, and if not, help us to look for ways to make that something that's real and active in, in our lives. But also, for those who name the name of Jesus, help us to learn from the mistakes of being a church that too easily fitted in and accommodated itself to the world in which you'd called us to be witnesses. And help us to seek and search out ways in which we might more really, more fully be ambassadors for Christ. And help us to think through and to flesh out ways in which we might together as church more focus on being and making disciples, more focus on the work of Jesus, that we might indeed play a, a fuller and more proper part in being and bringing your kingdom here on earth, that your will might be done as it is in heaven. Amen.